And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello everyone and welcome to From the Rookery End, brought to you by The Athletic. This is Adam Leventhal. Whoa, hosting. whoa, 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 Adam. You're getting a bit ahead of yourself there, lad. I'm only joking. This is, this is planned, everybody. It's Thursday, this is our Thursday podcast, Adam. Uh, my name is John, of course. Uh, Mike's here. Are you here, Mike? I'm here. But Thursdays are going to be different, aren't they, Adam? New for this season. What's going to be different? They are, John and Mike, and it is great to be alongside you. As always, and we're just having a little bit of a, a switcheroo for the the midweek or the Thursday morning podcast, and I'm going to be taking charge of it. I'm going to be wearing the the hosting helmet. Would it be? Well, I like. I always think of myself as a conductor. Conductor, a suit or something. Yeah. So I'm going to be I'm going to be hosting, and it just gives me a great opportunity to be able to profile the work that I do on the Athletic, talk to you guys about being a Watford fan, reporting on Watford, and also. And we've done it for this week and we'll come to it a little bit later on in the show, answering people's questions. Because, as we know, after every game, you do a wonderful podcast and that drops every Monday. And then in the midweek, we start to get ready for the next game and the next issue and trying to sort of work out exactly what's going on. And I'm now in a, in a great position working for The Athletic to hopefully find out as many answers um, for people as possible. So we are going to be having an opportunity to... Be interactive. You ask me a question, and I will do my my very very best to find the answers. So yeah, it's it's it's. I'm very much looking forward to it, but also I'm very honoured to be hosting this this revamped Thursday podcast. You say all that. It's very clear that you just wanted to wear a helmet. <laughs> <laughs> so I did like we did with the wallpaper. That's a lovely revamp in the studio. So we'll we'll all enjoy that and feel a bit different on a Thursday. So how how are we how are we set then for for the new season? It's 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 exciting, isn't it? Because there's nothing nothing's gone wrong yet. So how are you both feeling? Well, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready. Mike said he was ready the other day, but are you well, lying? I was Michael, thinking about this, you know. <laughs> Go on then. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about how a few people said it sounded quite positive. Um, we spoke to Kelly, didn't we? And, and and yourself, John. And I was quite positive. I was thinking, you know, if you can't enjoy this stage of the season, when can you actually enjoy it? And that, you know, usually pretty prescient when it comes to, to Watford, isn't it? And, but now it sort of dawned on me, I think it was sort of lunchtime today, that we've actually got some matches to play. <laughs> and and one of them is sort of hoving into view very quickly. And all of a sudden, sort of that, excite, that excitement's still there. But I'm thinking... Oh crikey! I'm the same, Mike. I'm, the uncertainty, though, is only in the the games. The the excitement is being back at football, uh, and for now, those things are living nicely together within myself. What about, what about you, Adam? You know, are you have you been bogged down with with having to report on lots of things? Do you get any idea what's going on with Will Hughes? Well, the Will Hughes situation is obviously one that is is 
dragging on and on and on and on. And I and I look back at you know the last couple of months, whenever the final game of the season was, May May the whatever, and seeing him on the pitch celebrating and thinking, right, top of the top of the lot. The main bit of business to do is sign him on a new deal. Great, we'll move on and then we'll sign a few more players. But clearly, there has been an imbalance in the in the discussions. He's been offered a new contract, as we know. He's turned it down and is now considering his options. What's really interesting is that there has not been any movement. And that tells me that he's not high enough priority for, for anyone else. And in the meantime, he is ultimately suffering because he's not in the first team group. One of the questions that came in via Twitter when I put it out prior to us recording was, is Will Hughes back with the with the first team? And prior to recording, I was checking up on a few things and, and we'll go through a few more um, details a little bit later on on different issues. But he's not training with the first team. He's still in a, in a state of limbo. And the situation now is that if no one does come in for him, then he will most likely, you know, see out the last year of his his contract and have to wait for six months playing with the under twenty threes, etc. Be on the be on the sidelines if there is no agreement. Because ultimately, if you look at the situation, you offer someone something, they turn it down and say, "No, I'm going to look elsewhere." You don't just wait and wait and wait. And we know how, um, let's say, strong minded. Let's say some of the some of the people at the top of, of Watford will be in negotiations, they're not going to take this, you know, lying down. If someone says, no, I want to go elsewhere, you don't say, oh, that's fine. Yeah, just let us know. Let us know if you want to come <laughs> back. You know, it, it, it just doesn't work like that. No. So the way that he's been quite visibly treated is is probably making it a little bit cut and dry, is making it, making it sound a little bit more sort of um, Machiavellian than it, than it might be. Basically, he's not in the first team group. Most, if we know that, most other people will do it. Will will know that. Certainly, um, other clubs will know that. And do you think the fact that Watford have chosen to go down this route to utilise this sort of method, if you like, do you think that sort of it might sound alarm bells for other clubs that might have otherwise been interested? Uh, definitely, everyone will be influenced by how someone is has behaved at another football club because you do your you do your due diligence. Now, that's not to say Will Hughes is a bad egg. No, has he misbehaved? In terms of misbehaviour, then no, not really. You know, he's got a contract. He's entitled to say, I'm not going to sign a new contract, guys. I, I want to see it out. Then it is a, a situation whereby, well, prior to that, he would have been offered a new a new contract, which he has turned down, where you are being given a, an opportunity to build on your career build on the, the credit that you've got in the bank at, at the football club and, and he and his representatives. And we only say he and his representatives because that is what he told us himself. You know, he said, I will leave it to my agent and the football club to sort this out. What I would like to do is stay at the football club. I have no thoughts about leaving. So we know that in the intervening period between, between him speaking prior to the, the last game of the season against Swansea, which seems like an age away, those initial discussions about, right, here's your contract. Oh, it's actually been turned down. We know that there has been some change in that. So that is the situation. And we we are well aware of the fact that there are other clubs that have been interested in him. But are they better opportunities for him, do you think, Adam? Yes, maybe. Is it, is it better opportunities for, for money? Is it better opportunities to become 
a, you know, a proper Premier League star. Because, you know, I don't, I don't remember really feeling like he was ever a star at Watford. You know, he was behind Decore, he was behind Capu, he did play lots of games, but he never felt like he shone at Watford. Every other club he's been linked with is, is Burnley, is uh, Crystal Palace. They are, they're not necessarily a massive step forward for him, or even the best step can do it. Is, is he going to... Do you think there's a place, especially now, you know, for other clubs who've done a lot of business, is there an opportunity for him to become the number one man in, in any club? There's various elements to the, to the Will Hughes situation. And people who are, you know, subscribed to The Athletic already will have read the piece that I did a while back, earlier on last season, about the evolution of Will Hughes. And one of the key things was that he, in his earlier days, was seen more as, a, as an attacking flair player, more of a number 10. Then there was the sort of muddying of the waters at, at Derby County, sort of went a little bit stale. He, he admitted that, fell out with Gary Rowett, etc. And that's why he ended up at, at Watford. It, it has taken the best part of four years to actually find the right position that he's in. And he and his, his, his agent, Paolo Vanazzo, who I, who I spoke to for, um, for the piece, said, you know, we have spoken about this a, a lot and he now feels he's in the best position, you know, anchoring in midfield, setting the tempo, being available for the centre-backs, bringing the ball forward, because he can still do it, but shielding the ball and then feeding other players in, in, in dangerous areas. So he's finally found the position that suits him. He's found a club in Watford that needs him in that position. And now is the time, you know, unfortunately, that he is in contract negotiations about extending his 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 deal. Now, you have to be fair in this situation. This isn't all, oh, Will Hughes is a, is a bad man and, you know, he, he is doing all, all wrong. Because from his point of view, he will be looking at the situation and going, right, what has happened over the last three or four years since I've been at Watford? We've had however many managers. It's been a pretty turbulent time. I want to make sure that I'm in a, a situation that is stable and I can potentially, I mean, this might be a bit bit of a stretch, but potentially play for a Premier League team and as a 26-year-old Englishman, potentially get in the mix for, for Gareth Southgate if, he, if he's looking for you know, someone to be anchoring in midfield, if Jordan Henderson isn't going to be there for, for, for long, or if, you know, if Calvin Phillips can get in there, why can't I get in there? Look, that is something for, for down the line. But that is what he is thinking. He's thinking about what is my best next step? The point is, Watford really wanted him to stay. And I say really wanted him to stay at that, you know, in almost in the past tense, because there has been enough water under the bridge, as I understand it, to make it very, very unlikely that he can now stay because of how this situation has, has unfolded. The situation with Crystal Palace, we know that there has been discussions, there is interest there, but from Crystal Palace's point of view, they are also playing catch-up in terms of their real priorities, the signings that they really need to make. They were very much in for, for Adam Armstrong, who has gone on to, to replace Danny Ings, who we'll see playing for Aston Villa. Southampton have signed Adam Armstrong to replace Danny Ings. Crystal Palace were interested in, in Armstrong. They are now looking for an attacker. So a midfielder isn't necessarily their priority. And also, when you're in a situation where you've, you've turned down, a, as I understand it, a pretty lucrative new contract at one club, you then think, right, well, if I'm going to turn that one down, surely I'm going to get more somewhere else. That would be a bit 
silly if I go somewhere else and I'm earning less. And from my understanding, that's not necessarily going to be the case. He's not he's not going to be able to go to a, a Crystal Palace or or certainly a Burnley who aren't going to be paying as much and, and get a better contract. So then it comes down to can you package it up in your mind or can your agent package it up in the presentation that he's giving to you as being a better move? From my point of view, seeing what he has done at Watford and finally found his position, it seems a bit silly to, to leave when you're you are the one that everyone really likes to see. Yes, if the club don't get their way, they can move on. They can replace Will Hughes. And that, that is obviously proving difficult. And we'll go through some of the, the people that they're considering at the moment and, and that search a little bit later on. But they can replace him. If you are stuck in an employment situation whereby you have a contract and you've got one year left, you don't really want to play ball for, for whatever reason or someone else doesn't come in and, and take you, you are the one that is left high and dry. The club is entitled within sort of within limits and, and PFA guidelines and all that sort of stuff to say, well, okay, you don't want to be part of the project going forward. You don't want a longer term deal. We are planning for someone else now. So you are going to have to stand aside. And I suppose the best way for, for us to sort of put a little bit of a full stop on the on the Will Hughes situation for now, or maybe we'll leave it as a comma. I don't know, because obviously we will talk about it in the, in the future. But seeing Will Hughes at St Albans City a couple of weeks ago, whenever it was, I was planning on going to the, the pre-season game at Stevenage. And I arrived there and I thought, this is brilliant. I haven't been to Stevenage for years. And I actually played at Stevenage. One of the only proper games that I played for a, at a decent level. I think it was either for Hertfordshire, I can't quite remember, Hertfordshire or Potters Bar Town. It was one of the one of the two, and it was a proper game, really hard ball, and I, I didn't do particularly well in goal. But I played at Stevenage, so I was quite excited about being there. But then I saw the, the team drop at St Albans, and I thought, I'm not staying here. I'm going to go and see Will Hughes. And I left. I left straight away and, and went to St Albans, and that was sort of, you know, follow it, following the story. Did you have your Will Hughes t-shirt on? Oh, yeah, of Being such a fanboy, going all that, <laughs> yeah. that distance. Well, no, but it was, you know, I, I thought that that was... A very, it was quite an emotional moment. I thought mm. because you know that was confirmation, visible confirmation that a player has been deemed surplus to requirements and is being um, banished, banished to the under twenty threes. You're not part of this first team group. He will remain aside from the first team group until something changes, until he either leaves or there's a U in his name. If there is a massive U-turn. In, in Hughes's situation, then maybe this might have a happy ending. But, you know, that is a big maybe at the moment. Who else are we going to lose then, Ed? <laughs> I would say the situation at the moment with a, with a couple of other players, and I think that there is a, there is a, a camp of maybe four or five players um, that are in a similar situation to, to Will Hughes. Um, Andre Gray is, is one of them was obviously out at the CONCACAF Gold Cup with, with Jamaica. He then came back and he has also been shunted into the into the under-23s. He's got one year left on his contract. Um, at the moment, it doesn't seem as if there are a huge amount of teams that are interested. QPR and, and West Brom uh, questions on Twitter asking if there's anything there. I did like that. I did like that someone who said that actually West Brom, if we sent them to West Brom, it would just be revenge for them sending us Nathan Ellington. <laughs> yeah, a long, a long way round of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I should be very sort of clear on this. There are teams that are interested, but I think at the moment, and this is another, this is another side to it. 
you know, with, with Will Hughes seemingly wanting to, to, to go and sort of turning down a new contract, Andre Gray doesn't necessarily, it seems, feel that he has to go or, or wants to go unless it's the right thing for him, which is, which is part of reaching the last year of your contract. So, you know, I know for a fact that, that Birmingham are very, very interested in, in taking him, but I'm not necessarily sure if that's something that will uh, appeal to, to, to Andre Gray. Um, West Bromwich Albion have been mentioned as well, but I don't think that that's an immediate priority for for West Brom, but it's a possibility because at the same time, Andre Gray is, is expecting his first child very, very soon. He lives down in Surrey, as we all know, because of his you know, indiscretions with, with lockdown parties and whatnot. From Watford's point of view, there is, there is a, a difficulty in, in trying to move Andre on because his... You know, if, if a club is looking at a very sort of statistical model of recruitment, his stats aren't great at the moment. You know, they're looking at financials, they're looking at stats, and they're looking at finances. He doesn't look great in terms of the stats, and that's that's something that he will he he's well aware of. It hasn't it, it has not worked out at Watford. Fact, and in terms of his finances, he was signed for a big whack on big money. So if a club in the Championship, for example, wants to take him, they're going to have to pay probably more only paying a percentage of his wages more than they would pay their top earner that they really, really, really want at the football club rather than a, someone that they're bringing in on a loan. They don't necessarily add up. And from my understanding, he doesn't appear to be sort of aggravating for a move. If it works out and it fits with his personal situation, it fits with his footballing you know, determination to maybe prove some people wrong, then he will move on. But I don't think that it's something that is anything more than an ideal situation for Watford to, to maybe get a percentage of his wages off the wage bill or if someone's going to pay some money for him. But the money isn't there in, in the championship in particular to pay a, a large amount of money for someone like Andre Gray, who hasn't got a great record at the moment. So that's the Andre Gray situation. There are other players, you know, the likes of Isaac Success. He's in a similar situation. He's unlikely to get game time at, at Watford. We know that Udinese is a, is a potential for him to, to go on loan. Um, that may not suit him, but it's, it's a situation whereby, right, well, you're not going to play here. Do you want to go and try and play over there? That is another one to, to watch. Another player that I wanted to highlight as well, and, and, you know, Will Hughes has got a lot, a lot of the attention. But Nathaniel Shalabar is in exactly the same um, situation as, as Will Hughes. He's also been offered a new deal. Um, but he is looking at his options as well, and we, you know, we've highlighted that, highlighted that a number of times on on the Athletic. From my understanding, in that you know, the last sort of twenty four hours or so, I think that he's maybe seen a little bit more as someone who isn't aggravating as much for for a move, and I think they're a bit more relaxed about the situation. Maybe they think you know, by the end of the transfer window, someone may well come in and take him. And they will consider that option. Um, and there is still the possibility, still the possibility that for one reason or another, they might extend. They might actually see him as a, as a viable you know, squad player. Or if they don't get the, the player that they want, uh, you know, a, a player that can be combative in, in midfield, can get up and down, can, can do a job in terms of turning the ball over and, and releasing it to maybe more flair players 
then maybe he might be retained. Maybe there is a, a possibility of him of him remaining at the football club. It's an interesting one comparing and contrasting the situation of, of Will Hughes and, and Nathaniel Shalabar, but that is obviously another one to watch at the moment. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is from the Rookery End. Adam, we've lost a midfielder. We're still talking about midfielders coming in. We have some really interesting questions uh, from like via Twitter. You know, James, Watford FC, James H. Will there be a Zinkenagel replacement? Not, not a Will Hughes, a Zinkenagel replacement. What type of midfield are we looking at bringing in? Will it be more of a playmaker to fill the hole that Zinkenagel left? Why, first of all, just quickly, you know, why, why is he left? Why has he gone to not, not, Nottingham Forest? I think they've done an appraisal at the end of the season and thought, we think that you're not going to play as much. And we have to look at contract situations, as, as we just mentioned there. We don't want someone being a, a peripheral figure not playing games, not getting an opportunity and not having the potential to increase their value. So with Philip Zinkenagel, obviously came in with with um, great expectations. He can go out on loan, maybe play in a right wing position or, or a left wing position out on the flank, either side of a central striker for, for Nottingham Forest and show what he can do. He's not been able to do that at Watford because he's not really been able to get ahead of Ishmael Assar on the on the right or Ken Semmer last season on the on the left. So it seems actually quite a wise decision. Go and play another season in a, in a tough league in the Championship Physical League and you know tear it up. And if you can do it, then come back and maybe by that point Ishmael Assar might not be there anymore. You know, he may well have he may well have gone and you you might be the answer. But his body of work in the in the Championship last season Whilst there was, you know, statistically, yes, he 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 did provide assists and his his assist return was 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 pretty good. I think if you actually take the the statistical specs off and and look at it with your your eyes, you could see there was there was maybe too many moments where he wasn't quite up to speed, wasn't quite up to the physicality of of the whole proposition of playing in the championship. A lot of people have said well, it's going to be better for him to play in the Premier League because you might have more space, et cetera, et cetera. It's more of a technical game and more of like a game of chess and he's clever at finding passes and he can go both ways and all that sort of stuff. 
I don't really agree with that. I think everything about the Premier League is a step up. The physicality, the speed and the intensity in games, especially when you're in those midfield positions. So I can understand why they have decided to, to take this view on someone with a five-year contract. You know, we saw it with, with Ken Semmer, for example. Came originally, was then sent back out on loan to Udinese, but that didn't mean that he was never going to come back. He can go, play more, get his confidence up, and then come back and, and provide something in the future. So I think this is a sensible thing, because if he then, Zinkenagel, plays well for Forrest, tears it up, and is their player of the season, Watford signed him on a free. If they then say, look, we really, look, by the way, we really love him and we really want to keep him. We've just been promoted to the Premier League and we'll give you £5 million for him. That's great business. That may not happen and it might not be up to that level, but it seems a sensible thing to do. So if you're not going to be playing, go and play somewhere else and show, show your worth. And that's happening with other players that we've seen go out on, on loan. But in terms of the replacement, yeah, I don't think that he is someone that they are directly looking to replace that they haven't already done. So what is it they want then? Yeah, we know we've got Dan Gosling, Tom Cleverley, Domingos Quina sticking around, Tom Deli Bashiru probably needs to loan out to get his fitness back up. New boys coming in, Imran Loser, Peter Etebo, Etebo, Uri Kutska, who is, is coming in. We know there's also, you know, Nathaniel Chalabo and Will Hughes there. You know, someone needing to come in. What is it that we need to come in? Not not the who, the what, Adam. What is the thing that we need to bring in? As I mentioned before, that there are a lot of options um, that are being looked at, and they're they're players that are, you know, not players that are in, playing in this in this country. So the likes of um, Okayu Kushlu, who has been considered, played for for West Brom um, last season um, and impressed, but it seems as if nothing's moving as we speak on that. And that is, you know, I'm getting text messages about it as literally as we speak. And that's not happening at the moment. It's not moving at the moment. But that's not to say that it won't happen in the future um, because there is a list. There is a whole load of proposals. And I always hark back to, to Carrie Matheson in Homeland with a big wall full of <laughs> options and going, oh, what's going on? And then as time ticks away, you, you actually go, well, that's not going to work. The, the finances don't work there. Oh, no, actually, he's now left so we can take him off the wall. OK, Ooh, do we actually need someone? Oh, how, how is he performing in, in training at the moment? You know what? Maybe let's give him a chance. Let's boost his his confidence. You know, so there are so many different elements to it. So Yukushlu is, is one option. The, the Morton Torsby option in Sampdoria, that's one that's been considered as well. But as I understand it, he's now being seen as, as an important player. Um, by the new manager at Sampdoria. So that one isn't moving at the moment. Are we waiting for some games to be played? For, for, for Watford, you said before, Adam, about, you know, we've got three games before the, the transfer window, the three, three games and a couple of days before the transfer window shuts. Is everybody sort of going, all right, we're going to go play a couple of games of football and then we'll, we'll sort of start cementing some of these things? Are we going to be, do you think we're going to be in a bit of limbo for a couple of weeks? I think so. It is important because... As we mentioned before about the, like the defence, you know, if, if we get, you know, pulled apart by Aston Villa and then pulled apart by Brighton and then Tottenham, they're going to go right. Okay, we need to rethink. You know, get on the phone to to the Udinese camp and, and throw over a couple of good centre halves and we'll, we'll have them. You know, that sort of that sort of thing. Um, but in terms of the, the midfield, I think they know that they have lost Will Hughes as a, as an anchor. They've brought in Peter Atibo who can break up play, win the ball. 
having watched him against Crystal Palace, his natural game isn't to be the conduit from, you know, William Trister Kong or Craig Cathcart. He he wasn't showing because I think he's still sort of he, he's still working out the role that he's gonna play. His natural game isn't to always come and get the ball. They need that player. Obviously they've got Imran Luza who can who can do that. And I would I would hope that they will give him the opportunity to show against Aston Villa that he is the one that can do that. If they can get that right, then it takes the pressure off a little bit in having someone that is going to be a, a direct shield as well in front of the in front of the back four. So it might it might be that they play, you know, last season in in the championship they were playing with one as a deeper anchor and then two further forward who were going up and down all the time, be it Gosling or, or Zinkenagel and Cleverly. You know, just going up and down all the time and then one, one sitting. It might be that they actually change things around and go, right, well, we need physicality because we're going to be under pressure a lot more. So it might be we have Luza and Atibo almost sitting alongside each other and then one ahead of them. It might be Kutska or Kutska might actually sit alongside Atibo or might sit alongside Luza and then Atibo's further forward. So there are different combinations in there. And I think the point that you make, we have to see how we, we cope with that in the, the cut and thrust of, of Premier League games. But one of the things that I did notice when I was at the Crystal Palace game, and I'm sure a lot of people that are listening noticed as well, that they weren't pressing as high up and as enthusiastically as they were doing in the championship to try and get the ball, turn it over and, and, and counter. They were sitting a lot it wasn't it wasn't like a lot deeper but they weren't really going for it and leaving spaces in behind in midfield they were a lot more compact in terms of the the four and then the three and it was almost like a four a three or a four and a five and only one pressing so it was it was Cucho who was sort of doing the doing the donkey work up and down and only occasionally when there was a couple of triggers that they would actually properly properly press and i quite liked that because you, if you think about how Crystal Palace normally play, it was four four two, very very organised, um, or you know two banks of of midfield and and defence under Roy Hodgson, and very difficult to break down. Watford are going to have to be difficult to break down, and they don't necessarily have to be expansive and going toe to toe all the time. And to see that in an away game, I was actually quite heartened because it showed a little bit of of difference in the way that they can approach games and and approach games at, at different times. Although it didn't go to plan against Crystal Palace, um, I, th- I, was, I was actually quite heartened by how they played. So they will, they will make an assessment on, on who is going to be right and where that, that gap in the midfield really is. But they're looking at various different options at, at the moment, as we've said. So it's definitely going to be one that they want to do before the end of the window. Um, but it might be one that they don't do until right at the end of the window. So we just have to just have to keep an eye on it, basically. A Watford FC podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is from the Rookery End. So that's the situation in terms of, you know, the ins and the outs. But as we know, and we are all excited about, we have a game. Our first game of the season on Saturday against Aston Villa. And, you know, what? having seen all this and heard me chitter-chatter about what might and ifs and buts and all that sort of stuff, of the players that we do have and we know are going to be playing on Saturday and available, who would you two select in your starting eleven 
against Aston Villa. John, you go, you go first. Well, I, my, my theme's always like for first game of the season. One, you want to, especially in this case, you want to see some of the boys who got promoted, you never got to sort of thank them. There's a, there's a certain players you definitely want to see with Sierra Alta, William, Trustikong, um, you know, we also want to sort of, you know, see maybe the, the, the new boys as well. Because it's always nice to see the new boys in the first game of the season. So I definitely want to see Cucho up front. I, I just don't know, Mike. Do you reckon it would be a safer start to the season? Or are we going to see a, a bit more new stuff going on? I've been asked by quite a few people how I think Watford are going to do this season and what their, their approach is going to be. And the only thing I, the only thing I think I know for certain is and it sounds very obvious, but it's, go, it's, it's going to try and build on that defensive performance that we we saw last season. We we conceded very few goals under both uh, Vladimirovic and and Cisco, and I think we saw that the last time we were promoted and we brought in Kike Sanchez Flores, that I think the 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 way that he navigated that season, if you like, was to to make us very hard to beat early on. We had some quite dour draws early on. I think it was Swansea and West Brom in which we, we picked up points. They might have even been both nil-nils, but and they didn't exactly get the blood pumping. But what they did do was show a message to the rest of the division that we're not going to be a walkover. And then we were able to build on that. We went and bit one at Stoke away, which was, was a surprise, and that got Deeney in. Igalo off running and I think if Watford are to be successful I don't think it's rocket science they need to make sure that defensive unit is is strong they need to make sure that they're tough to beat they're going to have to work hard to do that because what we've seen with previous Watford sides is that you know once they're certainly towards the end of that season we went down once we went behind we didn't really show many much signs of wanting to to get down and dirty and fight and and turn things around, did we? All too often, and and that resulted in relegation. So I think they're going to have to build on um, on defence on that on that mean mean defence that they established last year. But I, I still don't know how that looks in the Premier League. So I was talking to my brother about this, and I wondered whether we might see Craig Cathcart lining up, for example, with with Sierra Alta, because Adam, you were at the at the games with me and. I what the amount of times I really like William Trustikong as a as a footballer and as a as a guy he seems absolutely superb he seems like a good man to have in the dressing room but some of the times he gave the ball away in the championship was certainly as almost as the season went on towards in the final quarter misplaced passes were almost there was almost one a game and in the Premier League, you couldn't help but feel that they'd be punished and the ball would be in the back of the net before we even sort of uh, got our fist onto the table in frustration. It's, it's, a, it's a really important point. But one of, the, one of the things that was very noticeable, talking about Craig Cathcart, very noticeable when he played alongside William Trooster Kong against Crystal Palace, was that the majority of the time, the ball carrying out of the back was Craig Cathcart. So it's obviously something that they have highlighted. It's something that he even acknowledged himself. I can't remember what game it was, but I did that piece on The Athletic about how much he, he likes to analyse his game. And he realised that he was giving the ball away and his pass completion wasn't, wasn't great and things like that. So it seems like they've made subtle alterations, but they will also be looking at how partnerships work and, and communication works as well. I think they'll be desperate to get Francisco um, Siralta yeah. back into that um, central defensive partnership, but yeah, you're right. They need they need a bit of know how, and they need a bit of experience maybe at, at the beginning. But I don't know how that's going to pan out. That was one of the things that I mentioned in the, in the piece that I did. Just a, you know, a little 
um, season preview on the on the Athletic, and and that is one of the big things, isn't it? How is the defence going to cope? Um, and I think one of the one of the things that is a, is a, is an unknown certainly is is whether Danny Rose at the moment is is going to be up to it, having had a year out of football basically playing for the under twenty threes. Whether he's actually going to you know strengthen that back four, the amount of football that he's got in his legs at the moment, and whether Adam Messina is actually going to be first choice or whether he's his injury is, is worse or, or not. Who would you want, Adam? I think new boy rule. I think new boy gets gets first choice if he, if he can last at least a good sixty minutes. No, I don't know. I, I I disagree. I would I would have Adam Messina in there. I think his his experience, his communication, and and the fact that it's not going to be a progressive like like Mike was saying back in you know fifteen sixteen. See out the game. Get a nil nil. Great. Get a point on the board. That's what we want. If we get a nil nil against Aston Villa on the opening day, yes, you'd love to win it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You take it. You're one. You're you're one point better off than you were in 1920, and we know how priceless points were in that season. So, you know, I would play. I play Messina. I would play Cathcart and, and William Trista Kong simply because I'm not sure if 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 Sir Alta has got enough um, mileage in his legs, having had a bit of a breather. And I think that that's why he hasn't been seen as much. And I know there's there was some questions about that. They're being very very careful in terms of fitness and, and programs and things like that. But then obviously on the right hand side, play Kiko. So you're attacking Flair. Your your sort of your your sort of holy grail in terms of getting the ball forward and doing it well is down that right hand side with with um, with Kiko and Saar, and they've got that great partnership that we know. So that would be my back four in front of of, of Daniel Backman. Midfield three. I really liked Kutsko when he came on against Crystal Palace. He looked like he was always available. He sort of slipped into gear. He was he was offering himself up for for passes on, on the left-hand side channel and, and was sort of popping up and, and showing himself available just on his toes. He looked he looked light on his feet. He looked lithe. He looked fit. You know, a lot of people have said, oh, he's, you know, 34 years old, as if it's some creaking old, you know, rocking chair. And you're like, I'm 41. Can you just, you know, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll show you a creaking rocking chair. Um, you know, in terms of what he did, I was I was very impressed. I don't know how how sort of in terms of behind the scenes what his fitness is like and and you know his levels and they'll have all his data and all that sort of stuff downloaded. Um, but from my point of view, I'd I would have him in that in that midfield three because he looks like he knows exactly what he's supposed to be doing. Um, I would have I would have Tom Cleverley in there as well, and I would have Imran Luza in there. Okay. Um, and I know that Peter Atibo is probably going to play. Um, but I think what's most important is having someone who's available to the back four to come and get the ball. And I'd like to see Loser doing that, playing that sort of quarterback role. And maybe Kutska can do that as well. I'm really interested to see what three they go with. And then up top, I would have Kucho on the left. I'd have mm. Saar on the right. And, and, and? And in the middle, I would start with I would start with Troy against mm. against Aston Villa, simply because it's Aston Villa but also because it's an opportunity for him from the start to show where he is full pre-season behind him go on yeah go for it show show what you can do and and also i think we need experience we need leaders on the pitch and that might not be to everyone's liking and you'd like to see progression and you'd like to see a new person in there etc 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 but joao pedro is 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 injured at the moment Joshua King at the moment, it seems as if he's sort of a little bit peripheral. I don't know if it's because he's working on his fitness or, or whatever it is. But I would start I would start Troy over 
any other option that we've got. I know, you know, Emmanuel Dennis maybe might get the nod on the left hand side. I wouldn't I wouldn't mind if we saw Dennis on the left and Kucha Hernandez in the middle, because I quite liked quite like what I saw. Um, but I just think in that first game, pumped yeah. up in front of a big crowd, he's a good sort of lightning rod, I suppose, Troy Deeney. And and I think that maybe he is in that game to start us off, to show us what 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 he is capable of now, the here and now, go for it and, sh- and show us what you can do and, and bringing other players into into play. So that's how I would I would see it. How about you, boys? I love that. It's, it, there's an element of a lot of experience, a lot of Premier League experience in there. That's something I think lots of people don't really haven't looked at our squad recently. There is a lot of players who played a lot of games in the in the Premier League, including Adam Messina. You know, even though he doesn't feel like it, it's got two new boys in at least two new boys in there, maybe three, maybe four. Um, and uh, I like that as well. It's got the first, let's say, first game back in the Premier League with the stability, and it's got the uh, the first game of the season to see some of the new boys. So I like it, and I, I'd, I'd go with that. I'd sign that one off, Adam. Well, we've picked our team, so I think that that is a, a good place to end. And we haven't spoken about Shisco Munoz and how he's going to fare, but I think that everyone on the on the podcast wishes him the very best because he's been a, he's been a good egg from the start. There is. As I mentioned in one of the articles, you know, there is a big unknown how he's going to fare and all that sort of stuff in the, in the Premier League. I think he's been very open as well. So it's not something that is a, an elephant in the room. He's well aware that this is a big opportunity for him. So um, let's hope that he has a good introduction to, to Vicarage Road and things, you know, progress onwards and upwards for him this season. If you haven't subscribed already to The Athletic, um, there is a special special offer simply by listening to From the Rookery End. If you go to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end, you actually get a bit of a discount, which is a real bonus, 33% off, and you can become a subscriber. And that means that you can read all of my work, but also all of the work from everyone across the board for all Premier League teams and all the US sports as well, uh, if that is your bag. So this is the first podcast that I have been anchoring, so it is a bit strange for me to say, oh, John, thanks very much for being on the show. Have you enjoyed it? I have. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me on my own bloody podcast. Thanks a lot. <laughs> and Mike as well, great to have you on board, and we'll, uh, we'll obviously mix it up uh, throughout the season. But just, just give us sort of a, uh, how are you feeling ahead of the season? Are, are, are you looking forward to it? Are you feeling positive, I dare say? I, look, I'm getting increasingly nervous. I'm not going to lie to you, lads. It's I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm I'm getting stressed. I can feel myself getting itchy, worried. I desperately want this club to do well, but I'm older and wiser, so I'm teaching myself to enjoy it, to go with the flow. This is what for they'll deliver us something to be happy about, I'm sure. And of course, one thing we haven't really mentioned it: the fans are back, and. Every time I think about, and you know, I'm talking about it now, and I've got goosebumps, genuine goosebumps on my arms, thinking about, you know, Occupation Road being full and just the thought of Zedgar's kicking off and Vicarage Road having 20,000 supporters inside it. We're going to be back side by side doing the thing that we that we love the most, which is which is watching our wonderful football club. So I think above more than anything else at the moment, that's what I'm looking forward to to, to experiencing Watford alongside Watford fans again. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. We're back in the big time. Uh, lots of imponderables, but we know that under Cisco, they'll give it the, the best go possible. Bring it on. Mike, that's perfect. You've summed it up perfectly. Everyone's very, very much looking forward to uh, just getting together once again at Vicarage Road. 
We appreciate everyone that has sent in questions via Twitter. I hope we have answered as many of the questions as possible, but I will keep them sort of stored. And if we haven't answered them on this podcast, we will get to them or they will be answered in future articles on The Athletic. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks, John. Thanks, Mike. We will see you next week on Thursday, but obviously tune in for the next podcast on Monday after the first game of the season against Aston Villa. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.